Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce for his second time on Be Brave at Work, Michael Reddington. Michael's interrogation career fosters a fascination with how we are able to establish relationships and attain the truth in seemingly impossible situations. His experience made it clear that at best, confrontation creates compliance and compliance creates resentment. He saw firsthand how people committed to sharing these secrets when their interviewers carefully listened for new opportunities to bond and treated these individuals with respect and empathy. And we we think about that word empathy that plays such a key role in Be Brave at Work as pertaining to how you should operate and perceive how you enter into a conversation with individuals. When Michael applied these communication techniques to his business relationships, the results were astounding and his organization and his model, the disciplined listening method was born, which I also believe is the title of his forthcoming book. He researched and developed the listening, the, the disciplined listening method to teach executives, sales professionals, HR professionals, and beyond how to increase commitments to action and reduce missed opportunities by significantly improving their situational awareness, observation skills, and their ability to apply apply strategic, ethical persuasion techniques. And situational awareness is also such a key part of bravery at work. Hello, Michael. Hello, Ed. Thank you so much for having me back. It's great to be here. We are thrilled to have you back. And this is a experience that probably only three or four guests have enjoyed. If it is an enjoyment, I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, we have welcomed back people who are truly experts in their area of expertise to talk more about what they do, how they do it, why they do it, and what the outcomes are. And of course, our focus is bravery at work and the work that you do in respect to interviewing and, uh, you know, seeking out the truth is such a great, great balance to be brave at work. So I did a moderate introduction of you, and I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about the work you're doing and how you're currently interacting in the marketplace. 
Well, thank you very much. And it is an enjoyment. Let's let's get that on the record. It, it absolutely is an enjoyable conversation. And I appreciate you asking. And you did mention it in, in the introduction. And thank you for that. The majority of my time, and I know you've been through this yourself, and I believe you might be going through this again currently yourself, has been focused on getting the book ready for publication. And we are excited. Uh, the title of the book is The Disciplined Listening Method, How a Certified Forensic Interviewer Unlocks Hidden Value in Every Conversation. And if all goes well, I don't want to knock on wood too loud and hurt anybody's ears, but if all goes well, this will be available for purchase in mid-March to early April. So we're really excited about that. And really with the book, what we have set out to do is get into depth and detail to both teach and provide applications for how people can literally, hopefully in many ways, bring new perspective skills and techniques into all of their conversations to really take responsibility for how their counterparts perceive their communications and take that responsibility to drive the relationship to create the bonds necessary to achieve goals that may have seemed previously unlikely. Well, you used a lot of words there that I want to go back to talk about for a couple of minutes, Michael. One is certified forensic, I think, interviewer. Is that yes, the you know, I think our listeners would like to hear a little bit more about who that is, you know, who is and what does it take to become a certified forensic, which is a CSI word that we have all heard now <laughs> ad nauseum uh, interviewer. Thank you for asking again. So a certified forensic interviewer is somebody who has earned the designation. So perhaps a, a quite common analogy or comparison to make would be an accountant who earns their CPA. So being a CPA isn't necessarily a job in and of itself. It's a designation of expertise that then positions somebody to be more successful or to have more clout or more influence in their field. So the certified forensic interviewer designation is the premier designation, the highest available designation for professional interviewers. It was initially created by the Center for Interviewing Standards and Assessment, which has since merged into the International Association of Interviewers. And like most professional designation, there's qualifications, then there's the education process, passing the exam, maintaining the additional or continuing education credits, and of course, adhering to the moral, legal, and ethical code that goes along with the designation. Wow. Well, I didn't even know there was an international association of interviewers. So uh, that's good to know that you're a member. Uh, the other term that you use, which I think is super important and directly ties to bravery at work, is self-responsibility. That, you know, if you observe something or see something that you believe somebody else needs to know, you own bringing it to their attention and you own the conversation. You know, every conversation has an owner. You have to be the person to own the conversation, ensure it goes the way that you want it to go, be observant of uh, deviations from the way that you're attempting to get it to go. You know, what are your observations on this concept of self-responsibility and what does that mean to the person who is taking action or initiating the conversation or interview? It's it's a very valuable concept and one that can be, and I want to choose my words correctly here, challenging potentially for people. And it certainly has been for me plenty of times. So, you know, let me fully admit to throwing rocks out of my glass house at the moment. Um, but it's very easy for, I mean, I guess I can do it this way. There's at least three realities in any given conversation, right? Mine, yours, and the neutral middle, and there could be more variations than that. But there's going to be at least three perceived realities in any given interaction. And of course, it's very easy for us 
to fall prey to marrying ourselves to our own. What we feel, what we think, the expectations that we have, how our previous life history has impacted how we are, are viewing this. And then it's very easy for us to begin making assumptions as to what other people will be thinking, feeling, how they will act. And there's value in all of that. We don't want to ignore it. We don't want to throw it away. But when we talk about taking responsibility for these conversations, responsibility for how our counterparts, our audiences perceive and feel based on how they communicate with us, you mentioned situational awareness before becomes a big component. Taking a goal-oriented approach becomes a big component. And sometimes this can be pinpointed all the way down to our internal monologue. So if I go into a conversation thinking Ed has to know how I feel. Okay, that can be super valid. I'm not taking anything away from that. But now if I'm just focusing on making sure you know how I feel, to what degree am I letting my emotions override the conversation? And am I letting that short-term or tactical goal now really take control of where this conversation goes? And of course, to your, if you feel attacked or if you feel demeaned or insulted at any point, we can expect you not only to respond in kind, but to have a greater or stronger response. You know, with Isaac Newton's third law doesn't apply to communications. There isn't an equal and opposite reaction. It's usually a stronger reaction going in each direction. So if we switch that mindset to or that internal monologue question to, OK, I need Ed to understand how I feel because when he does this will be the long-term impact and change. This is how our relationship can change as a result. So now if I'm focusing on the long-term impact, the changes that I'm truly looking to experience beyond this conversation, now I can keep that in mind in order to strategically approach and manage how I authentically, of course, explain to you how I'm feeling, but now doing so in a way that's more likely to create the relationships and results we're looking for down the road as opposed to just getting this off my chest right now. Well, just to paraphrase what you had just said, Michael, which I think was extremely elegant, uh, it's important to recognize that if you wanna to talk to somebody about something that you think might be challenging for them to hear, you need to move beyond the, hey, this is how it's making me feel and move to this is how, not only this is how it's making me feel, but this is the impact and behavior that it's creating, which is problematic. So this isn't just about, hey, it makes me feel really bad, but because I'm feeling the way I feel, here is the implication and impact that it is having. Is that essentially what you're suggesting? Yes, it is. And I don't want to confuse the listeners. I'm in no way, shape or form devaluating the importance of how we feel and, and I are devaluing the importance of how we feel. And I don't want that impression to come across. It's actually leveraging how do we feel to choose the correct communication path forward to get to the end results, the bigger goals that we're looking to achieve. And yes, I think you summarized it quite well. Thank you. And look, I think this word feel or feelings uh, is highly underrated in respect to relationships and the workplace. You know, oftentimes when something happens, sometimes even before we think about it, our body is already feeling something, right? And we dismiss it and move on, or we don't talk about it. And of course, it's oftentimes viewed as a sign of weakness if you say, hey, that made me feel bad, right? It's like, well, I don't care how you felt. So, you know, what did you think, right? Don't tell me how you felt, tell me how you thought. But feelings and the way something makes you feel, if it makes you feel stressed, if it makes you feel angry, right? These are so important because that in many ways is driving and I'm sure there's some type of scientific model that talks about what you feel and how it affects how you think and then how it affects how you act. 
uh, that is so, so important. So feelings, I think, should not be ignored. They need to be integrated in what it might be that you want to say or do, but they should not be ignored. Is that consistent with the uh, presentations that you do and the message that you deliver to your audiences? It is. It certainly is. And one of the things that we like to get across is however we react emotionally is valid. Like I might not agree with how you will react emotionally to something, but I have to recognize that it's valid for you based on your life history perceptions and expectations. So first realizing that feelings are valid and they happen. And there are many scientific approaches to how our emotions impact our behavior. The answer is significantly, whichever model that we want to follow or follow or, or subscribe ourselves to. Um, one that jumps to mind for me, and this is, I'm going to mention a group that I have absolutely no relationship with whatsoever, but just to give credit where credit's due, people may have read the book, Crucial Conversations. I'm forgetting the author's names off the top of my head, but Vital Smarts is, is the parent organization. And in that book, they outline the four-step process that we go through from between observation and action. So essentially, we make an observation, but then we have to give that, we have to tell ourselves a story to give that observation meaning. It's like an actor having a backstory, right? So we make the observation. The observation is going to have holes in it all the time. So we give our, we tell ourselves a story based on our biases or perception to fill in the blanks and give it meaning to us. Then we generate an emotion based off the story. And then we take action based on the emotion. Now in our brains, we correlate action to observation. When in reality, at least by their model, which I do see a lot of validity in, there's at least two steps in between. So we're actually taking action based off the emotion, how we feel. We almost certainly generated that emotion based off the story we told ourselves, not the neutral observation itself. And I'm not here to say that our stories mislead us. You know, there's plenty of times where the stories are accurate and lead us down the right path. And there's also plenty of times where the stories are inaccurate and lead us down the wrong path. But to your point, as a communicator, if we can first just understand that however anybody feels is valid, it's their reality right now, let's not challenge that, let's not try to work them off of that. And then from us, from our standpoint, understand that when we make an observation and we start feeling that emotion, maybe call a quick timeout and just ask, you know, is this, of a, is this, I'm not, I want to say valid because it is valid. Is it an accurate emotional response to what I just observed? Or is it an emotional response that I'm creating based on my perception of what I just observed? And if that's the case, maybe I should cool out for a minute. One of the things that we like to say is in an emotional conversation, if you feel yourself about to quickly respond, whatever the first words that start to come into your mouth are, swallow them. <laughs> Think it through for a second and then maybe go ahead and repeat it or maybe find a, a different way to say it. And not, I don't mean that to, to lack sincerity, but something that might be more productive towards the end result we're looking to create. Well, look, that last piece of advice is why we oftentimes say something that we don't mean or is a emotional reflection that later we come back and say, hey, Michael, I just wanted to tell you I didn't really mean what I said earlier or what I said earlier isn't really accurate in respect to our relationship, et cetera, because we didn't swallow what we first wanted to say. We're going to pause in our conversation with Michael Reddington and ask that you join us on our next podcast conversation as we continue to speak with him about his practice and the skill of listening in order to be brave at work. 
And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.